Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Bina, the executive director at Deloitte AI Institute, and we discuss the ethical questions that surround AI and other new technologies. Why it will take an all hands approach from humanity for AI to reach its true potential, and how cultural diversity of thought will contribute to the success of all technologies. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I sent my team, I said, hey, go find me, like some of the brightest people in the world on AI, and they dug up you. And so now I'm, I'm interested. I want to know, how did you get started with artificial intelligence? Oh, my God. Okay, so I studied back in the early 90s. Uh, I studied computer science and part of it was AI and this was back in India and at that time you know it was more theory than actually doing anything right Uh, there was no compute power no easy access to the massive amounts of data that we have available now so uh, you know I studied in theory I, I, I love history so I did read up about artificial intelligence and I said wow this is amazing, right? And I'll tell you, you know, even during my, so my first job out of college was as a database SQL developer and I was working on SQL Server and a software called Jam, which is now, you know, it doesn't even exist. But it was back in those days, right? And, um, and you know, when we used to even talk about personalized ads, it was supposed to, it seemed like very futuristic, you know, is it even going to happen? And now, you know, fast forward to today, we are right in the midst of it. You know, all the things we could have imagined, we were imagining 30, 40 years ago is now becoming real or at least is heading towards reality, right? I, I say that, you know, that there's a lot of ideas people have probably had for decades, but didn't have an opportunity to actually try it out. And now it's, providing a forum for us to try this out in the real world. So I think we live, you know, we live in very, very interesting times. We are so fortunate to have seen this whole explosion of technology as a whole, right? I remember growing up, you know, listening to radio stations. We didn't even have a TV <laughs> at that time. And uh, the first few years, black and white TVs was what, what I was looking at. I'm totally dating myself here, Joel. But yeah, <laughs> that's my early memory of listening to radios and having, uh, you know, black and white TVs and then came color TV. And now look where we are, right? So I think, uh, you know, my experience with AI, my curiosity with AI has not been so much about AI, but uh, about data. That's like the food for AI though, right? Exactly. It just happened to me because I've always been a data geek. I've been interested in all things that you can do with data. Started out as a database developer, SQL developer, went on to be a DBA and then managing a data team, you know, data architecture. So doing all these different roles within the data domain. Then came the era of BI and data warehousing. Remember snowflake schemas and you know those the the way we used to normalize the data to enable more better reporting. Then that was the whole wave of BI. Right, business intelligence. Then came, you know, big data and which enabled machine learning and AI and the things we're seeing today. So I say that, you know, I still am very passionate about data. 
And AI is just another manifestation of how data can drive outcomes and you know change the world to be a better place. So what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? Right now, so I uh, I have been at Deloitte for about 18 months and I lead our Deloitte AI Institute. And Deloitte AI Institute is focused on connecting all the different dimensions of the AI ecosystem. Uh, prior to this, I was the CTO for AI at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Before that, I led data sciences and innovation at GE. So I've been in different industries and different verticals. And one of the challenges that I saw was you know, the AI ecosystem is exploding, right? It's just growing uh, really rapidly and fast. So, you know, it is impossible, even if as a business, if I know the business challenge, I don't know the fastest way to solve for it. I'll take an example. For example, you know, I know I want to predict when a jet engine might fail so that I can prevent unplanned downtime right? As a business, that's the problem that I want to solve for. What I don't know is how do I get to the solution in the fastest way, assuming that I know what data I have, how much historical data, where is it stored? I understand the data part, but how do I get to this predictive analytics, predictive insight? Is there a product out there that I could buy off the shelf, drain it on my data, and then deploy it? If there is no such product, is there a startup working on solving for this that I could potentially invest in, do an aqua hire or partner with them to get to that solution faster? The goal is how do I get to the solution in the fastest way? So if there is no startup, is there a PhD student or is there somebody in academia trying to solve this problem for predicting a jet engine failure, right? Uh, So is there somebody in academia working to solve this problem that I could look at? If none of this exists, then, okay, that means I need to have a team that's going to solve for it. And that's where the question comes, you know, do I use my internal data science team to solve for it? Or do I, you know, partner with a a vendor externally to solve for it? So once you figure this out (laughs) and say, okay, I'm going to do, you know, maybe leverage my internal teams to solve for it. Then comes all the nuanced topics around it as to, what are you know? What are some of the regulations around using this data to predict this kind of behavior? Is there any regulation that I should be aware of in different parts of the world? Is there any policies? Are there any best practices? Should there be ethical concerns around this? Right. So understanding all the nuances of solving. So we started with the core business problem, but to get to a solution that can be scaled, it's a very complex ecosystem that you need to navigate. So. The Deloitte AI Institute is really focused on the applied AI. So starting with the business problem, connecting all these different dimensions of the AI ecosystem, bringing it together in one place to get to that business solution in the fastest possible manner. Uh, I also lead our trustworthy AI practice. And what trustworthy AI is really focusing on the AI ethics aspect, right? Because I feel, um, let me take a step back, Joel, and you'll appreciate it being a geek in this space, is really, if you look at the times that we're living in today with AI, right? Think of it, there are three parallel streams. The first stream is really the core technology itself, right? Whether it's deep learning or quantum, you know, the core technology for AI, that is still evolving, right? In academia and research groups. 
And there is a second stream, which is the applications of the score technology, right? It is being applied today in the real world across industries, across functions to drive real business outcomes, right? So it is like you are developing the car engine and in parallel, you're using it to drive, you know, in a massive way. And then there is a third stream, which is really on the consequences of the applications of the technology. And the consequences include things like ethics, uh, regulations and policies. The, what are the risks associated with using a developing technology in a real world? What are the consequences beyond the value creation, which is what everybody focuses on? But by now, we all know there can be other consequences, which is beyond that value creation. So that's the third stream. So how do you, uh, you know, solve for this third stream where there is no such playbook today, right? We don't even track for it. We don't measure for it. We don't know how to solve for it. That's the that's what we call as trustworthy AI, is to really think about ethics, regulations, policies. The challenge with ethics is, you know, there's a lot of hype around it. You have a lot of headlines, and uh, that's also a big concern because you know, ethics is not about just about bias and fairness. I think we have to get to that more nuanced discussion on what does ethics mean for a manufacturing plant versus what does ethics mean for a jet engine manufacturer versus what does ethics mean healthcare? You know, you know, bias is honestly not relevant in, you know, if you are looking at predicting when a factory floor machine might fail. Right, bias and fairness don't matter. What matters there is the robustness, reliability, and security of the AI solutions that you put out. So that's what trustworthy AI is really addressing that third stream of all the consequences of the technology beyond value creation. At what point does, or what point in the future do you think that government will get involved with AI policy or ethics? I think they are involved in with it already, you know, there's a lot of catch up that is uh, being uh, is happening right now. Um, and um, I think they're already involved. Uh, unfortunately, it is not something that can be figured out in isolation, right? There needs to be more robust discussions between the technologists and the policymakers and the researchers to really come up with these well thought out regulations. I think, uh, you know, if we cannot ban any technology as is, it has to be like applied more from a use case lens or for an industry lens. There's a lot of discussion around facial recognition, for example. And I think, uh, you know, part of the challenge of just, you know, negating a whole technology is that there might be actual relevant use cases where that technology can operate in an ethical manner. So having those thoughtful discussions and building out policy, which is very nuanced, as opposed to having a broad, you know, overarching regulation, I, I, I think, you know, we have to get to that next level of detail. And I'm certainly seeing a lot of movement in that space, which makes me very hopeful. So is, is humans for AI the same thing as trustworthy AI? Or are they separate? They're separate. It's a Humans for AI is a nonprofit that I set up back in 2016. And it's um, uh, one of the basic ways we can solve for ethics 
or bias in AI is by increasing the diversity of the teams, right? Uh, we, we know there is lack of diversity in tech in general. We know there's lack of diversity in AI. Uh, but I also think AI provides an opportunity to solve for including more diverse, uh, diverse uh, uh, candidates in AI. Here's why I say it. Basically, when I say diversity, I am thinking of diversity of thought. So that that includes yes. people, yes, yes, people yes. from not only different gender, which gets a lot of attention, but people from different genders, races, ethnicities, geographic backgrounds, educational background, cultural backgrounds. You know, the more diversity of thought we can get to AI solutions, the better, the more robust that solution is going to be, right? So that's why it's called Humans for AI, because we want all humans to be part of the design, development, and deployment of AI. And what our goal is really, you know, and I've built a few data science teams, and what I've noticed is, yes, you know, that you do absolutely need data scientists. You absolutely need people, experts who have that PhD in machine learning and AI. But you also need UX, you need designers, you need uh, software engineers, you need product managers, you need project managers, you need QA, you need uh, people who are deploying. So you need all these ancillary skill sets to really, you know, productize or you know, put it into production. So why don't we surround, you know, this homogenous group of data scientists with diversity? So that thought will, the diversity thought will naturally fill, fill, you know, filter in throughout the process of the AI development. So that's the mission behind Humans for AI. We focus on women and underrepresented minorities and uh, help them prep to fill in these surrounding roles around the data scientists, but being part of the AI team. Does that make sense? Yeah. What type of, edu like, what do the education programs look like in practice? It's really basic AI literacy. What's lacking today is there's a big gap between people who understand the core concepts of AI and people who don't, right? Like when you read a newspaper article about AI, you know, to fundamentally understand what does machine learning mean, you know, translate it into real language that clicks in your head. So basic AI literacy on what are all these different terminologies that's associated with AI. And the goal is, the first goal is, when you read a newspaper article about AI, you understand what they're talking about. And then the next step is really then connecting to this diverse ecosystem. Once you have the basic AI literacy, if you're interested in product management, here is a list of courses to take. So it's really about the fundamental goal is to drive more AI literacy so that everybody can understand what AI is. Everybody can be part of the discussion because if you don't understand, if you think AI is this, you know, uh, this big concept, that complex concept that only, um, uh, you know, people trained or, or educated in this understand, then you're left out of the conversation. And I think we need to level that. And people fear what they don't understand. Exactly, exactly. I do. I'm an. Uh, I'm a technology optimist. I'm definitely an AI optimist. I think there are amazing things that AI can do for us. But for that, we need all humans to be part of that discussion, to uh, be channeling that discussion. The other thing, Joel, you know, and you've been in the space a while, is 
I also believe that um, for AI to reach its true potential, we are going to need this diverse voices. Here's why. In a lot of AI product ideas today come from technologists, right? But to, for AI to go deep into a domain and really to reach its true potential within a domain, you need the people who are working in the domain. You need the do, you know, domain experts because they're the ones, once they understand the basic concepts behind AI, they're the ones they will be able, who will be able to look at the job and say, oh yeah, I think this can be solved by using NLP because you know, this part of my job is really boring and can be automated. Whereas it instead of kind of turning that conversation to be, it's not the data geeks or data scientists who's, who is coming up with the product ideas. I truly think the next wave of AI product ideas will come from the domain experts who understand their domain. So it will be the teachers, the lawyers, the doctors, the nurses who will be able to help take AI to the next level within, uh, you know, within their field. So if the, if that's a hypothesis, then let's make sure that this domain experts are as diverse as possible. Here's our opportunity to actually fix for it, right? Yeah, and I'm curious, you're you're getting me thinking, is there any education happening in the public school system on on AI? Because it's been it's been a long time since I've been in public school. <laughs> so I don't I don't and my kids are are very young. They're they're under the age of five. So they're yeah. not in in you know elementary or middle school. But do you know of any education programs in schools? Yeah. There is. So I have two teenagers. So yeah, they're very much there and I keep an eye on it. And uh, I think it is it is very focused on you know building towards becoming a data scientist, or it's very focused on coding. And I personally have ex- what I've experienced is that you don't necessarily need to be a hands-on coder. You don't need to be a data scientist. But what you fundamentally need is understanding of the concepts of AI. So it is very focused on uh, you know going towards a data scientist career path and not so much on what if you want to be an AI product manager or a, a AI designer. You still need to understand the core concepts of AI. So do you think that would fall into like social studies, histories, mathematics? Like what which teacher would would be best suited to describe these basic concepts? Um you know that's a, that's a great question. I think it could be um really any of those uh if if i uh, if i could wave a magic wand i would say that you know ai should be ai literacy should be taught to every student like universities and in schools uh it doesn't uh, necessarily when we club it under mathematics or science we're putting a lens on it right even if we put it under sociology or philosophy we're putting a lens to it and that's why I say the educational background has to be diverse as well, right? So it's basic AI literacy because we use AI in our lives every day. So you need to know what that thing in your pocket is capable of and why it works the way it is working. Yeah, I was thinking what would be the best path to educate the general public that aren't necessarily looking to specialize in data science or AI yeah. as they go through the schooling system so the, just that they have a general awareness of, hey, this area of study, it exists. Yeah, it exists. And here are the 
you know, all the possible ways you can get engaged. Like if you don't that's like important. that's fine, you know, here's a way to go. If you are more interested on the philosophical aspects, absolutely, we need that input as well, right, from an ethics lens. If you're interested more on the legal side, great, you know, we need to figure out regulations and policies for it. There are so many ways possible ways you can go down the AI career path because we have all these potential roles, which is not just about coding. Yeah, I was, you mentioned legal. I was talking a while back with another Joel. <laughs> it's like the only other Joel that I know really for the from the podcast. And he, he's the CTO of a company called Thought Trace and they do you know, AI for document sorting and searching. It seems really useful if you're in the legal industry that's where they had their their niche right and i was curious like thinking about the legal industry also thinking about you know the mri type industries where you've got these white collar professions right these specialized top level job professions that ai is becoming extremely useful and then at the same time about a week ago as i was preparing for this interview i saw an article i think in the new york times about you know, AI is coming for bill and accounting or something like that. And they were discussing AI replacing white collar jobs. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? There will be some role, you know, changes, right? The job description might change for an accountant or even a CFO, right? Because we are truly in the age of humans with machines, right? We have to know how to use that machine, the AI, to do our jobs better. Think of AI as a uh, tool in your arsenal of productivity, productivity kit that you can tap into, but you need to understand what that tool is capable of. And you need to be able to provide feedback inputs to make that tool better. And what do you need for that? The AI literacy. Uh, I think, you know, the clickbait headlines kind of, you know, drive that fear. But, you know, there is, it, it is never as simple as that headline, right? It is much more nuanced as to, you know, what are, what are all the additional doors that will open once, you know, once you take away some of this monotonous parts of your job. Plus, there needs to be training on, you know, how to work best, right, with the machines that, that's there to help you. I agree. And I am, I am uh, optimist as well. Uh, I understand that fear spreads really fast and people use it a lot for headlines, but I also have a deep understanding of AI and the people that are making it. And overall, I'm optimistic. I think that it's largely misunderstood by the general public. And if they could get simplified explanations of it and become comfortable with the understanding of what it's doing today and how it works and how it could progress, I think that would be very useful. Yes, and it will also help AI grow as well, right? Because as long as there is fear, there will be you know some limited limitations put in place. If there is no regulations or policies or best practices, that will hold us back as well. So how do you get more thoughtful? How do you have these discussions to move the conversation forward and actually? Put uh, you know put these guardrails in place so that you can innovate faster with AI. The other day, I saw one of the a graphic showing going from single celled organism life all the way like to humans and all the different speciations. Yeah, and I was like, I want somebody to take that and do AI on that and make it go forward because it ends at humans. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, let's make, we have really smart AI people. We have this data, all of this DNA data. Who's yeah. running the DNA simulation of what we will become? Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Do you know anybody that's doing that? I haven't seen that. I know, uh, I, I know that it will have, uh, I'm, I'm thinking more from a skills perspective. I don't think it will be a data scientist by herself. It will have to be, you know, you need to get in historians, you need to get biologists all to be part of this team that thinks through that. Right. Cause I mean, it's DNA and we have DNA samples all the way back and we can see how the DNA changes. It'd be interesting. We're it's what, one of the things I love about technology is it shows us how much we don't know. If you do research on how much we know about the brain and consciousness, it's <laughs> way less than what we want. If you do research for how much of the DNA is decoded and understood, it's way less than what we want. So I'm actually really excited about these tools coming in and getting to work with them. Um, and also one of the reasons why I'm not scared is back about 10 years ago, I did a software and the result of this software was it reduced an accounting team, the size of an accounting team. Let's say for conversational purposes, like from 30 people to two people. Okay. Yeah. And it was my job uh, as the software builder to go around and do some implementations within organizations. And inevitably, every time we would go do this, we would go into the accounting team and say, hey, this is new software, it's coming. There would be two groups of people, two types of people, the people that hated the change, which was over 80% of the people, and they didn't want to participate. And they were, oh, my job's going to change. I'm going to learn something. And then there was the two or three people that were like, oh, this is so cool. This is going to solve so many problems. This is really interesting. Show me how it works. Can it solve this problem this way or that? And I'd be like, oh, it can. Yeah. And we'll make this part easier. And they would get all excited. And subsequently, they would learn how to use it through that excitement and wanting to understand it. And they would be the ones that I left running the system. And they would be the ones that would have jobs running that system. And other people would either be reallocated within the organization or let go, whatever it may be. But having i the reason why i share this story is because having that mindset of of the curiosity and the continuous learning that's what keeps you relevant so we fast forward 20 years in the future and elon musk has neuralinks in all of us <laughs> and we're working with the ai like it'll be the people who are who are curious who who are interested in moving things forward that remain relevant Yes, I completely agree. I think um, uh, it comes back to the point, right? The, it, technology is evolving so fast, right? Like we, we've talked about lifelong learning in the abstract, but now it has to be, you, I mean, for you to, no matter what role you're in, even for technologists like you and me, if we don't adopt to be uh, becoming lifelong learners, we'll get outdated, right? It's not just the accountants, it's also the technologists. I mean, you have to have that mindset of lifelong learning. And I've looked at that every time I hire a team member is to look at not just what your current technical chops are, but also how likely are you to you know, learn and keep, stay on top of the technology advances that's happening in this space. So curiosity, I agree, is one of those big traits that's going to be, that's going to, you know, Keep, keep us all going and thriving in this era that we, that we've entered now. In your role, are you, are you writing? Can I follow your content? I mean, people ask me all the time, CTOs, CIOs, VPs of engineering, we're all in this competitive business, right? And we're all always watching the landscape. Uh, 
how do we stay up to date on advancements in AI? Absolutely. So I I think I'm the only Bina Manat in the world. <laughs> Google me, uh, you'll find all my social. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Deloitte AI Institute is really about putting out cutting edge eminence uh, from a very applied AI lens on how AI is used in businesses. So uh, we have Deloitte AI Institute website. Uh, that's that's a great way to stay plugged in and um, and on Twitter as well. Bina Amanat. When you do you go around and give talks to to kids, high schools, college students? I do a lot of keynotes and panel presentation. Now it's all, you know, standing right here at my desk and, uh, you know, uh, no going around, just going around virtually. But yes, I do, uh, both for Deloitte Institute and also uh, for Humans for AI. We actually had a session with Girl Scouts where we were talking about having AI-related badges. So get them introduced to the concepts behind AI very early on. So yes, I do do that quite often. There you go. I love that. That's way better than social studies, right? You could go to a boys and girls club, like after school programs, places that have national presence, the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts. That is so smart. I love that. Who came? Did you come up with that? The the badges? The idea is there. Uh, it is. Uh, I don't think it's finalized yet. We also do a lot with uh, universities. So there is an Alliance for Inclusive AI which is currently with UC Berkeley, but we're planning to expand it to universities. It's basically a, a foundation that gives scholarships to uh, women and underrepresented minorities to study AI in that university. But here is one which gives me goosebumps to the day. So we did our first cohort before COVID hit. So it was an in-person one at the campus. And uh, we were really targeting people who would otherwise not ever learn about AI. And you work with this group and part of that 40-member uh, team, there were seven of them who were uh, from a human trafficking uh, rescue center because you know that nonprofit actually focuses on getting them to high school education. And what we did was to get them literate on AI as they start you know, their new life, right? Which, which for me was very humbling and uh, and really made me happy to see us taking AI to a demographic which otherwise would never even learn about it. Yes. And if everybody just did a little part like that and found it in their own way, then this world would be a lot better place. So you're setting a fantastic example. Thank you, Joel. Absolutely. When you're speaking, you get to do a lot of talks, right? And you get to do a lot of Q&A. But you will also pick up as... Let's pretend you're an AI. <laughs> You'll pick up on trends in these these question sets that people ask you. What what are some common questions people are asking you? Yeah, the most common question that I get, of course, it depends on the demographic, but most common question uh, I get is, how do I become a data scientist? <laughs> uh, the other one is, how do you know which programming language could I should I be learning so that you know I can succeed in AI? And I always give the example that, look, when I was studying, I studied COBOL, assembly language. Pascal was my favorite language. None of them exist today. So, you know, it's about understanding the concepts, right, on how a computer works, as opposed to going deep into one language, which you should. 
if you're looking at becoming a hands-on developer data scientist, but you know, to you know, you also need to understand the core concepts. But those are the two top questions that I get. I love that because we have an intercom chat on our website, on our modern CTO website. And I would say the mo- one of the most top three questions we get is how do I become a data scientist? People mm-hmm. just come to the website, they're listening to somebody or they found a data scientist that I interviewed and then they ask us that question. And it's, I have like this templated response, but yeah, it's, it's super common. Yeah, and I think part of it is, you know, we've created this whole narrative around data scientists being the sexiest job of the century. Uh, But really for, you know, data scientist scaling, there's a whole area of roles around it, right? Data scientist is crucial, but there are data engineers, designers, and, you know, things that, uh, roles that don't even get, get mentioned, the ones who do the data lab labeling data janitorial work of building those pipelines and making sure clean data comes in, governance, architecture. There is There are so many roles in, in a data science team and it's not just the data scientists. So I think there is needs to be an effort to drive more awareness of all the roles that exist in an AI team and the pathways to get there. That's true. When I first found out how large the data labeling industry was, mm-hmm. I was blown away. They had just massive buildings full of people doing labeling on, well, there's, I think the one I saw specifically was image labeling. They would tag objects and images. And then there, I got to talk to a couple different people. There's, you know, companies that'll, that'll need these algorithms trained and the way that they're training them are tons of humans training the algorithms. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and no, they don't get as much attention as uh, you know as a data scientist does. So I think uh, it's up to us, people like you and me, to say, hey, look, it's you know beyond data scientists. There are so many other roles in AI. Find a way to get involved. All right, so I'm going to ask you some good questions here. Okay. You are like you're at the you're at the top, right? You you eat, sleep, breathe AI. You're at Deloitte at the AI Institute. There's definitely some some young people listening to this podcast. They want to be like you, right? They want to know how you got there. They want the tips. They want the tricks. They want the one thing that they have to do. What sort of advice do you have to the next generation? Um, and I get asked this question as well. Uh, so, you know, and I truly believe in this. Uh, it's not, I did not plan my career path. I did not say that, you know, this is why I'm going to start as a SQL developer and then move to this and this. It was more of what drove my career was always curiosity. If I got too comfortable in a role, if I felt that, oh, you know, I am in a bank, banking environment doing the data warehousing, you know, I'm really curious of how they do it in the retail world, or I'm really curious how they do it in the healthcare. How do they use data? Right. So that curiosity has kind of shaped my career and move, helped me move forward. I refuse to get too comfortable in a role or in, uh, um, in a way where it, you know, I think comfort actually slows down progress. So it's always about challenging myself, whether it is learning new things or a curiosity to explore newer industries. So that has kind of shaped my career until Deloitte. What has happened at Deloitte is, you know, Deloitte works across all the industries. So now I'm like that kid in the candy place where 
I get to work across all the industries and look at this large icky problems like ethics and think about how do you actually solve for it, right? So I, I, my advice would be, you know, find something uh, that you're passionate about. Don't go and study computer science because that seems to be what everybody wants you to do. Get, get you know, identify where your passion lies and it is completely fine if your passion changes over time. Let your curiosity drive you to the next challenge. Keep challenging yourself. Don't get stagnant. I love it. It's that I don't think you have a choice either. I think it's just kind of how you're wired because you sound a lot like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's yeah. true. This is great. This is great. What are you really excited about? What's what's the thing happening that you're allowed to talk about, the, like the project or the technology? What's something that that's getting you up out of bed in the morning? Oh, there is this cool new thing that I'm working on is really looking at uh, uh, technology ethics broadly. So today, I think with AI, we are playing catch up uh, with ethics. We are trying to you know figure out what is that third stream of ethics and how do we solve for it. But uh, part of my charter at Deloitte is to look at the ethical implications of broader technology. So what does ethics mean for, say, virtual reality and AR? What does ethics mean for quantum? Right? How do we get ahead of the curve and plan for it as the technology is developing itself, is also developing, right? You know, because everybody stays focused on technology development and the value creation from the technology. The part that's keeping me excited is the third part of the ethical implications of that technology. And and so do you know, by the way, do you know uh do you know Bill Briggs? Yes. yes. He's awesome. He is awesome. I love him. He is really cool. He, he and I work closely together. So for example, Bill is focused on quantum compute and the ways, different ways we can use it. And I partner with him to say, hey, Bill, okay, if these are the ways, what are the ways this could go wrong? <laughs> what are the negative impacts? Forcing him to think through what are the ethical implications, right? So think of a world, right? We might be not having this conversation in 2D in a few years, right? We, you might be, you know, be here in a 3D form and, you know, we might be having a lemonade together in 3D form, right? But yeah. what, uh, you know, I think fairness could still be an issue in that case. Are we able to project people of color in the same schematic as, as the others, right? So, you know, thinking through the ethical implications of technology and Joel, the coolest part of it is you know, there is no search that can give me those results. I really have to go back to my computer science roots and think through the technology itself and the negative implications of that so that we can prevent it and we don't have to play catch up once these technology becomes scaled out broadly. Yeah, because people got pretty upset. There was some, you know, issues early on with the facial recognition and the training data. And I'm not extremely well read on it just to be transparent. I've looked into it here and there. There seems to be a lot. The thoughts seem to be advancing farther than I'm keeping up with them, right? But at first, it seemed like, okay, we were just building something. And then, uh-oh, this happened. Now let's go fix it. But then, you know, because we like to build cool stuff as technologists. And then we realize, oh, that shouldn't be happening. Let's let's go change this. And then there's always people that'll say, oh, it was intentional or whatever it will be. So being able to predict what might go wrong from our past experiences and learn... Is that something you guys are doing? 
Yes, that's that's the entire focus of my uh, time is to really think through what are you know how do we prevent it from going wrong? What you know, and that means thinking ahead of the ways it could go wrong. So uh, it it's really something that's very exciting and it's it's cool because uh, yeah, it's it's beyond you know the obvious good things technology can do but thinking about what are the bad things this could do and how do we prevent it as we scale this out. Who are some of the other colleagues that you get to collaborate with? You get to collaborate with Bill and who else? Uh, so uh, in my role, I work across all our businesses of audit, tax, uh, advisory, and uh, our consulting arm. So I get to work across all of our businesses and all of our industries to, because what I'm looking at is ethics as applicable to all of them, and then also being able to dive into each one of those. And even on the Deloitte AI Institute, it is applied AI for finance, applied AI for healthcare. So being able to look at the AI applications and use case by each industry. And then also looking at how does AI impact audit? How does AI impact tax? So being able to dive deeper into each one of those so I get to work with pretty much all the leaders within Deloitte. That's excellent. You get, so you get to work with a bunch of great people. And I get to learn about all their businesses, which is Come on. very exciting for me. See, that's why I love this job. Before I built software and I had different projects all the time. And so I got to learn about finance and fitness and real estate. And then this provided that but on steroids now it's like multiple times a week i get new industries new problems people storing data inside of dna and planting things in people's brain it's crazy what's going on out there yes but but that that's why it's the need for an ecosystem joel i truly believe you know it is impossible to have like one ai uh you know one co company leading ai in every aspect right i agree will have you know several leaders in emerging and they will be in specific domains because AI itself is so domain specific. So you know that need for an ecosystem is more relevant than any of the past technologies we've seen. One thing that I did see in my my prep, my show prep, is that you guys recently conducted a survey, state of AI enterprise report. What were some of the key takeaways? Oh, here was one that you know was actually surprising but at the same time I was very hopeful about seeing after seeing that number so almost all so 95 percent of the companies that are ahead in their journey with AI 95 percent of them express concerns around ethical risk for their AI initiatives so there's been a lot of talk about AI ethics right but it's been more in the um, philosophical debate phase. It was very hopeful for me that an optim you know, drove optimism that there most companies are thinking about ethics and it's on top of mind because that means now we can actually solve for it. We can operationalize it. So that was a, a great, uh, you know, statistic that just stood out for me. But you know, uh, in, in general, uh, you know, we are seeing companies uh, investing more into AI compared to prior years. Uh, I would say um, they seventy-one percent of them were planning to increase their investment over the next um, fiscal year, 
and they wanted uh, 74% of them were also looking at integrating AI across all their enterprise applications within the next three years. So all great things for AI, right? Uh, AI adoption is growing. Um, ethics conversations are coming up front so we can get to the solutions. So I, I feel very optimistic about where we are heading with AI. Do you follow any of the projects like OpenAI or you know what Elon Musk was helping fund? We do. We are very plugged into the AI ecosystem because we have to, uh, you know, be aware of what different organizations are going, where where are opportunities to collaborate, how does it fit in uh, with specific industries, where is it relevant, and having a point of view uh, on the advances happening in there again from an applied AI lens. And you you mentioned like jet engines as an example. Have you seen any other? like really cool examples? Oh, yeah, there, there are so many. Uh, maybe I will stick to the, the two things that actually I wanted to say earlier. Uh, let me ask you a question, John. Okay. What are the ethics implications for a jet engine? What are the uh, What are some of the negative consequences? What are some of the ethical implications one should consider for when you're building an AI solution to predict jet engine failure? I don't know. I mean, are we talking about like socially ethical? Like, so I'll give you an example because this is something we ran into was uh, when you are looking at the data, the data discovery phase to find that correlations, right? On what might be causing an engine failure so that then you can predict for it. When you look at that historical data, we could actually find out how the pilot was flying the plane. Was he or she flying the plane with, you know, hitting th- the thrust the right with the right amount of force? Or was he just hitting it hard, which uh-huh. caused you know, more deterioration? So you could actually see the pilot behavior in flying the plane, and the uh, the conversation came up on, you know, should this be part of it? his or her performance review. If you are not following guidelines, is that that impact your performance review, right? So, and there is no regulation for it. We went to FAA and there's no guidelines around it, but that's the nuances that exist in ethics that you need to think through. It is so much more than bias, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the misconceptions. We connect ethics and bias like, immediately yes yeah and so help me define ethics ethics is that third stream of applying and evolving technology in the uh, in the real world without thinking about all the negative consequences that will still impact you i get it because that pilot having a bad review is a negative consequence yes it could be a health you know, if you're looking at, you know, it could be a health consequence, right? Using a screen, using your app too long, there's a health consequence. So thinking about all the negative consequences of using that technology that is being built. It's almost like to be really geeky. It's like, where's the deploy hook for thinking about this, right? Because like, it's at what point are we trained? Because I think it's, we're not, because I'll tell you this much. If I were on a project, I would say, you know, I was on the jet engine project. 
I would try to figure it out and then I'd be like, oh, the throttle has to deal with this. Great. We'll mark that as an indicator. I wouldn't have thought deeper like, oh yeah, it's then the behavior of the person that's actually making the throttle change. You're a smart person. (laughs) And you you think about, okay, how do you solve for it, right? Because, uh, and uh, when there's no guidelines, obviously we didn't share that with, uh, you know, so that it would impact. We stayed focused on solving for predicting jet engine failure, even though the data told us all the other things that we could do, right? So making that conscious decision, yes, that, you know, is, is out of scope. So, you know, we're going to leave it till there are some guidelines around it. But then, you know, using that data to actually provide better pilot training so that you could change that behavior. And we use gamification uh, to motivate the pilots to fly in a certain way. That's that's a better solution than going through, uh, you know, through the performance review. So thinking through how do you change behavior, how do you provide more impactful training and use AI to actually drive that training and measure it is, is, is a much better way to solve for it. This is interesting because we're talking about things that are fairly intangible. They're kind of, it's kind of hard. There's not a framework necessarily where it can give me an exact answer on what I should do. Yes, absolutely. And that's where you need thoughtful, a lot of thought put into it. If you need uh, that diversity of thought becomes super important because it's impossible for any one of us, no matter how smart we think we might be, uh, you need that diversity of thought uh, to really think through all the negative consequences. I'm sure you heard of the classic case of the the robotic vacuum cleaner, right? No. That goes on the floor automa- in an automated manner and uh, sucks up dust and hair and, you know. But in uh, South Asia, a lot of people sleep on the floor. So, you know, there, there have been incidents when somebody's sleeping on the floor, their hair is getting sucked because that was not, it was, it was not guardrail, right? If, that, if you had the robotic vacuum cleaner, it was doing that. It was, you know, you had not thought about that case. So, you know, that is an easy one to relate to, but, you know, that's why you need diversity of thought. I wouldn't want to be on the other end of that customer service call. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this is great. Bina, we did it. We made a podcast. How do you feel? This is great. Thank you, Joel. I really enjoyed our discussion. I mean, you are truly a curious person and, you know, this was great. Loved it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.